for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Tonight, I say tonight because we're recording tonight because we have some West Coast guests tonight. And they're a father and son. This will be a very unique episode. It'll be fun to do. We have from our Hall of Fame, Carl Weinstein from the class of 88 and his son, Cole Weinstein, from the class of 21. Welcome to you both. Hey, John. Great to be with you. Excited for the podcast. How you doing, Dad? I'm good, buddy. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, chronologically, that would be you, Carl. How did you find out about Syracuse, and how did you get to the campus, then to the radio station? I was going to study communications. Specifically, I wanted to do broadcast journalism, and Syracuse in the mid-'80s was as it is today, one of the hot schools to consider. I looked at other schools that were in that category, and uh, it was not a hard decision once I'd visited the campus and decided that that was the place I wanted to be. Got to campus, and I wanted to get as much experience as I could right away. To be honest, I don't remember exactly how I found out about the radio station, and now that I think about it, I probably thought JPZ was WAR. I probably didn't know the difference <laughs> at the time. And literally went to an orientation. I wanted to report the news. So I signed up to be on the news staff. And my first endeavor at JPZ was uh, early morning news writing. Sue Mandel was the news director at the time. I say to this day, I learned more from Sue about writing news and delivering a newscast and I ever learned in a classroom. And that was just in the first, you know, semester of my freshman year. So if my math is right, Carl, the station was on AM when you first got there, right? Uh, it was actually on a carrier current. Oh, that's right. So it wasn't right. even on AM. Yeah. It had been taken off of AM in lieu of getting ready to go on to FM. You know, it, it turned out a semester after I got to Syracuse. I mean, there was the only people that could hear it was closed circuit television in the lobby of dorms. So at any point in time, you were lucky if the TVs were on in the lobby of the dorms. I don't know. There were a few hundred people listening at best. And when I was doing my newscast, probably at that point, it was like four in the morning. I was probably just broadcasting to myself at that point. <laughs> How many terms that you just mentioned do we have to have Cole Google to follow along oh, with the, right. uh, with, yeah. with things were Carry, in the mid 80s when you got there? Carrier current? Any longer, they're going to have to be researching AM radio. When you told me that story when I was younger, I honestly just assumed, like, I, I knew the internet was a thing from the 90s and that that wasn't really going on when you were in college, but I just assumed it was something like that or something with cables, like, I got the message when you told me that story growing up. Yeah. But that was an exciting time to be at the station because it was right before we went on the FM dial. So, of course, I was oblivious to all that at the time. I had no idea that there was years of work at that point had gone into making the transition from AM to FM. And there were people feverishly working to make that happen. I was just a freshman trying to do a four-minute newscast or probably two minutes at the time. <laughs> so you grew up in Pittsburgh and you find out at the radio station. And by the time Cole comes along, you know your dad went to Syracuse. You grew up in Seattle? Where'd you grow up, Cole? Seattle and then moved to the Los Angeles area in 2010. So sort of first half of my life, Seattle, second half of my life, Los Angeles, West Coast guy through and through. 
is there a thought that, hey, I might want to get into communications, I might want to go to Syracuse, my dad went there, or is it like you kind of had to figure it out on your own? How did that play out for you? So when I was really young, my dad thinks the story is hilarious. Like, he just would always bring up all the famous people who went to Syracuse. <laughs> it was anytime I ever watched a football game or anytime Sports Center was on. And when I was really little, actually, I wasn't like the biggest sports fan. Like, I became a sports fan probably when I was six, seven, eight, like midway through elementary school. So when I was really young and honestly followed sports more because it was my dad's thing and he'd bring up all these guys and be like, cool, they all went to Syracuse. Like, congrats. I used to literally say to my dad growing up, they God go to Syracuse because I just assumed everyone <laughs> went to Syracuse. <laughs> and fall in love with sports. I can't stop watching NFL Network. I realized, hey, maybe this is something I want to do. You know, my dad and my stepmom, Sarah, encouraged me to start writing for a sports blog in the eighth grade because they're like, if you want to work in sports, take it seriously when you're young, even if no one's reading it, get the practice in. Yeah. And I start to realize I want to be part of, you know, covering sports. Yeah, I always love movies too. So, you know, I thought maybe one day I could cover movies. Like I wanted to be part of media, part of covering something, part of being around the stuff that interested me. And once that happened, I was like, oh, wait. I need to go to Syracuse if this is going to happen for me because Syracuse is, is where it happens in media for everyone. And sort of the moment when I realized this was a dream of mine, Syracuse became the school. Honestly, my dad can attest to this. Like I structured my entire time, the back half of high school, just to get into Syracuse. I didn't really take a lot of AP classes because I knew I didn't need to, to get into what I wanted. I knew that the extracurriculars were more important. I was a coaching assistant on my football team. Like my path to Syracuse, once I realized I wanted to go there, became just how can I structure my time at high school to best get in because hopefully I'll work it out. And, you know, Kevin Martinez is, is one of my dad's best friends, someone I grew up around a lot, also speaks really highly of Syracuse. Don't believe a new house guy, but still just I grew up around the orange. And, you know, when Otto's the mascot and you're a kid, like he doesn't want to be a mascot. Did you apply anywhere else or was it just all Syracuse Cole? I did. Actually, for anyone, if you're listening and you're in high school, the biggest pizza advice I can give is apply early. I applied to five schools. I got waitlisted and rejected from one, got into all the others, applied to them all early, found out I was going to Syracuse, I want to say like December 16th. It was actually um, during the end credits of the Star Wars movie Rogue One. I was huh. with both dad and Sarah. The end credits are rolling. I pull out my phone and found out I got a new house on the spot, which was pretty incredible. And, you know, that's one of my favorite Star Wars movies just for that reason. By the way, John, for the record, Cole is way smarter and a way better student than I was. And uh, I actually didn't get into Newhouse originally. I got deferred to arts and sciences and then had to prove my way into Newhouse my freshman year. Cole got in right away. Cole, what did you do at the radio station? Did you go to the radio station when you first got there or, did, or how did you end up at JPZ? I knew of JPZ as the radio station before I even knew what the name was because my dad would tell me stories about it when I was growing up. So when I got there, you know, I wrote about WJPZ in my my college essay. I wasn't even completely sure, like, what the call signs were. I remember I had to keep looking them up because I didn't actually <laughs> know JPZ tangibly. I just knew them from my dad's stories. But I was like, of course, I'm going here. I want to follow in my dad's footsteps. And when I went there, I'd let everyone know, you know, my dad did this stuff in the 80s. Like, I think it's really cool that I'm his kid and I'm here now, too. Like, I was not shy to admit that my dad was a part of WJPZ in the 80s. And I was really excited to be part of it during my time there. What did you do at the station, Cole? Mostly it was uh, zoos. I really, really enjoyed the zoos. I finally got on. I auditioned to get on them my freshman year, got on first semester my sophomore year. And basically did them all the way through until working towards the end of my senior year got me busy. But the zoos really were what tied me to WJPZ and was where 
I met some of my best friends at JPZ. And honestly, I was really thinking about this last time when I was back for my first banquet as an alumni. All the people I gravitated towards were, were people that I was on zoos with and people who just I built a friendship with being on air. And it's, you know, just someone like Melody M where Melody and I are, are such different people, but we just found time on air together and developed such a great chemistry together. And like Melody's hosting with my co-hosting, I just always felt like was just so much fun. I felt like we made great radio together. And it's like, that's what I love about my time at WJPZ was being on the zoos and getting to meet people who I'm not sure I would have met in college and become so close with if I didn't spend all this time getting to know them on and off air. Well, with that said, Carl, let me turn it back to you. You mentioned Sue Mandel as your news director. What are some of the other connections that you made there and some of the other things you did at the radio station? You know, I started in news, by the way, I'm one of the few people that went to Syracuse and ultimately Newhouse who didn't want to be the next Bob Costas. My aspiration originally was to be the next Geraldo Rivera. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Who was doing big things on 2020 at the time. And um, I wanted to be an investigative journalist, but I got to the radio station, started doing news, which was kind of my early pursuit of that. And very quickly, then immediately started doing a DJ shift. I got an overnight shift. Back then, there was no automation. You actually had to show up at 3 a.m. and do your shift from 3 to 6 in the morning. Hey, I was the chief announcer in 2001, and if the 4 a.m. jock didn't show up, guess whose phone rang? So I feel your pain. Okay. In fact, I get stories about staying over Thanksgiving break just to do 12-hour shifts and keep the station on the air. Those were the days. But So I started doing a, a DJ shift, and that was kind of the beginning of a shift of me discovering something a little different that I wanted to do. I really took to not as much being a, a DJ, which I enjoyed, but really to the programming side uh, and marketing and promotion side of the radio business. So we started doing DJ shifts and my sweet spot was not afternoon drive, but I love doing the evening shift, the seven yep. to whatever it was at the time, seven to 10, I guess. And so I moved into that slot, but by the end of my freshman year, I had been named assistant program director under Happy Dave Dwyer, who's yep. been inducted in the Hall of Fame this year. And he, uh, Rocco Macri, Chris Bungo, those guys took me under their wing and taught me a ton. And that led to my path of ultimately being uh, program director of the radio station for almost two years, essentially. Mm-hmm. My sophomore and junior year, there was some quirks to made that happen. And then in my senior year, I was the, what they call the broadcast consultant. So those were my, my roles at the radio station. What did you do from your time after graduating, Carl? You've had an amazing career. Now, for those who are alumni listening who don't know you, take me a little bit through some of the things you've done since you got out. Sure. Well, initially I did what you would sort of expect. And Cole's been amazing at this. I encourage any students who might be listening to this podcast, uh, you know, do internships. I mean, that is probably a given these days. But I had done an internship between my junior and senior year at what was then a Hot 103, which became Hot 97 in New York. Yep. Um, that was through Rockwood, um, brought me in that summer to be an intern. And that was MS Communications. And that led to my first job right out of college, which was working in New York at Hot 97 producing a morning show and doing marketing and promotions. And then something amazing happened and fortuitous. And um, Emmis was owned by a Hall of Famer in the broadcast business, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Smallian, uh, mm-hmm. who started Emmis Communications. And 
He's a legend. And in 1989, I guess it was, he bought the Seattle Mariners and ended up moving a few of us from the broadcast side out to Seattle to um, be part of the management team for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, The GM at Hot 97 was a guy named Stuart Lane, one of my great friends and a true incredible mentor of mine. He took over the Mariners as head of sales and marketing and brought me in to head up uh, marketing and promotions for the Mariners. So I moved to Seattle, did a complete change from uh, radio to sports marketing and the sports business. And that led me down a really interesting, fascinating path. Uh, was with the Mariners for a number of years, then actually went back into the media business and radio with a group called New Century Media, which was a group that eventually everyone, I think, sold to Clear Channel. So this yeah. was before that. But I uh, was running marketing, promotions, operations for New Century Media in Seattle and marketing promotions for New Century Media in Phoenix. But then in Seattle, it was the 90s and there was really this incredible culture of entrepreneurship and innovation. You know, the heydays of the early days of Microsoft blowing up and Amazon launching. And I got the entrepreneurial and tech bug, if you will, and went on to be part of or start a number of startup companies in the digital media, consumer tech, and entertainment spaces. So I've been part of, I think, four or five uh, pretty interesting and somewhat significant startups, uh, either as a founder, a CMO, early member of the executive team, board member, whatever it may be. So I've had a, uh, an interesting path. And then well, hey, let's, let's give credit where credit is due or some of the companies you were involved with as startups. So you feel, if you feel comfortable naming them here. Sure, of course. One of the early ones uh, was a company that was called Season Ticket. The parent company was, was called OneCast Media. That was actually a company that I'd founded with some other people that was essentially interactive television in the early days. Now, we were ahead of our time. We were essentially producing something that was akin to a personalized sports center product. Um, okay. But this was before broadband was even in homes. So in fact, back then, Monday morning was when we had most of our users because everyone would finish their weekend and get into work. And the first thing they do wasn't opening their email to get work done. It was going online to watch sports highlights. Yeah. Um, we were one of the first companies to license digital media rights from some of the major sports leagues. And uh, then I was involved with a company called Screen Life, which was kind of in the early days of digital social gaming. It was a interactive game product. And then I was chief marketing officer of a company called Cozy, which was a family productivity software, kind of a, a hub for families to manage all of their calendars and shopping lists and other activities that, you know, kind of hold a family together. Uh, was involved with a company called Newsvine, which um, ultimately sold to MSNBC as a board member and um, a few other companies in between there that I've been involved with as consultant. Uh, I helped a number of companies with product strategy and with fundraising, you know, number of kind of entrepreneurial consulting projects. And then most recently, the one that's been really maybe the most fun I've had in my entire career uh, was partnering with somebody I'd worked with in Seattle when I was managing radio stations. 
a gentleman by the name of David Locke, who's the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. And um, he had started a business in the podcast space around delivering daily podcasts for every major sports team. And I partnered with David back in 2018 to build out that company. And it's been an incredible ride. Um, We actually sold the company uh, about uh, in early 2021 to a company called Tegna, which is a major publicly traded media company. Yep. And we've built um, what we believe that the data is a little hard to find all the numbers. What we believe is a top three sports podcast network in the country. I've seen you and we've talked about this stuff at podcast conventions, Carl. We've we've had some conversations and I got to say, as a Boston sports fan, I've checked out some of the Locked On Sports podcasts for my teams and they're great. I'm just picturing for a second to go back when you talked about being in Seattle at that time when you've got Microsoft and Amazon. Oh, by the way, that's the early, that's the early mid nineties. You've got the grunge scene taking off. Oh, by the way, the Mariners, I th- my math is right. That's when Ken Griffey Jr. and everybody was there too. And like, it's no surprising that, I mean, first off the Syracuse and your natural abilities, but then to be springboarded from uh, an environment like that, to have done all these amazing things since, it's not surprising that you've done so well in the time since then. You know, it's, it, you are a function of a number of things that all come together. And that environment was Seattle in the 90s was as creative. It still is a great place. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And But it was an incredibly creative culture environment for fostering ideas and having them supported by a whole ecosystem of venture capitalists and advisors and mentors and, you know, a city that just encouraged it. A super fun time to be in Seattle. I'm going to turn back to Cole in a second, but before I do, Cole talked about hearing about Syracuse from his dad and and all the stories that he had heard growing up. What's it like on the other side of that? What's it like being a dad and seeing your son follow in your footsteps and go to Syracuse and go to WJPZ? What was that like watching that from your perspective? And he's telling you about uh, whether it's a game in the dome or it's a dorm he was in, like, and you're almost like reliving these days, I've got to imagine. Both lived in Booth Hall, by the way, as sophomore. No kidding. Okay. Very important to say. I'm not sure I can adequately describe the joy and pride that I have in Cole, of course, but in him going to Syracuse. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I think we talked about it at one point after he accepted and it, you know, it's like the greatest, in a way, it's a huge honor to have your child follow in your footsteps. And look, Cole's charting his own path. He's hardly following in my footsteps, but you know, to have your child essentially, you know, sort of, uh, I'm not sure even have the words endorse what you've done and think that it was pretty cool to want to follow that path. It's pretty amazing. What I will say too, though, is I owe Cole a ton here. He, he reconnected me with Syracuse in ways that have been incredibly powerful and meaningful in, in my life in the last six or seven years. You know, you get further from your graduation and yeah. you live your life and you, you it's not like you've lost all ties to your past by any stretch. But, you know, if the further you get from that, the less connected you are to those things. And he absolutely reconnected me with the university and with WJPZ just by his involvement in all of this. I uh, have a, a rekindled passion for the university, uh, rekindled relationship and passion for the radio station. And in fact... The very fact that I ended up back in media, back in something that to me was kind of the next wave of audio, information, entertainment, and podcasting, I really owe to Cole. 
because I returned to the university. I returned to the WJPZ banquets. Yep. And I reconnected with all of these incredibly smart, interesting people that I, you know, they're my, some of my best friends in the world. And I was just inspired again, inspired to jump back into the audio and media space. And there's a whole story behind it, but that led to me partnering with David and launching this this sports podcast network that's been really pretty wildly successful. And you're back donating to the university. It's just that it's in terms of tuition payments now. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, I remember when my dad took me to Syracuse for my first tour and the way he reacted to it stood out to me because you could tell he hadn't been there in a while. You could tell like it's a place he'd spent a lot of time. It's a place he'd spent four years. Like it looked familiar, but it was like it had gone through a lot of change. And I remember my dad pointing out like, oh, this used to be here. There, like there used to be a McDonald's here. Like this looks so different. And you could tell it was jarring. And to see him come back and visit me or come back for WJPZ banquets and to see before my eyes, like the first time he'd been there in so long when it did kind of blow him away, like how different and it was the same. And to see him literally get re-familiar with the campus has been has been cool um, during my time at Syracuse. And even, you know, last time we were at the, the banquet. That's really cool to hear. Even here in Colta, it's kind of emotional, to be honest with you. One of the most important times in your life, obviously, is college. One of the most important decisions that changes the trajectory of everything you do is where you decide to go to school. So I'll share this, though. So I took Cole on all his various college tours. I toured almost all the same schools that he did. It was actually like deja vu. I mean, it was crazy. Like, we're revisiting. And I kept my mouth shut. I was like, I am not. He's got to have his own experience. He's got to. Yep. see these schools for himself. He's got to decide on his own what he wants. I, I kept my mouth shut. But did we finish at Syracuse? That was the last one, right? Yeah, for that trip. Cole went on this tour. Many of the same, almost identical schools that I looked at, you know, how many, many years before. And he had a virtually identical experience that I had. All of the schools were great and interesting and everything had its pros and cons. And then you get to Syracuse and then you tour Newhouse. And it is done. You tour new house, you're done. It's, it's over. And he had yeah. the same experience. And then I even said, I remember calling my wife and saying, this is crazy. But 25 years later, actually it's more than that, 30 years later, I would have made the exact same choice all over again. I just redid my college tour and I would have made the same choice all over again. And, <laughs> and Cole just made the choice too. So Cole, you've only been out for a couple of years, but tell me about some of the things you've done since graduating. Um, honestly, it started before graduation. Uh, I interned in a couple of different places. I interned at 710 ESPN in uh, Seattle. I interned at Fox Sports Radio. And then I was supposed to be the NFL's podcast intern at NFL Network summer of 2020 in person. A lot yeah. of people, so I was a virtual NFL intern. And then I turned that into two different jobs with the NFL Network, NFL Media, while I was a senior at Syracuse. And because everyone was doing everything online, who cared if I was doing it for my bedroom in Syracuse, New York. What did you do while you were in school? The first thing was I was on the game day digital team. Uh, so if you ever click on NFL.com, I worked a lot of Jets games. So, you know, click on Jets bills, uh, upstate, western New York. And you look at the highlights on the right side of the page. I was the guy who would grab the highlights, put them together, write up the proper SEO needed, and then post them to populate on that side of the page. So basically all the highlights from the game. Uh -huh. And I would be just assigned a certain game. And then after that, I parlayed that basically into being a PA 
on the NFL media podcast, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Mm -hmm. I actually got to produce one of their shows, which was crazy. Same thing, I did it from my bedroom in Syracuse, New York. I produced uh, the final episode before I want to say the 21 NFL draft because everyone was busy. And again, it's crazy because, you know, I used to watch those guys on NFL Network when I got home from high school. And so to work with them was crazy. But I worked for NFL Network my entire senior year of high school. You said senior high school. So I'll college, by that college. Yeah, my senior year of college. And then uh, weirdly, actually, my work with them ended about a couple weeks before I graduated. So I graduated not really knowing what I was going to do next. Welcome to the club. Yeah, but knew I was going to do something because I just spent the previous year working for what I thought was a dream company, moved back home to Los Angeles. My boss, when I was on the podcast side for the NFL, recommended me for a gig with the Chargers. I actually didn't get that gig, but in the process of interviewing for that gig, they realized I was perfect for a different gig, which they ended up hiring me for. So I moved down to Orange County a couple months after graduating from Syracuse, lived in Orange County for a year, worked for the Chargers for the 2021 season, did a couple of things here and there in between. And then that boss, again, who picked me out as an NFL intern, picked me to be a PA on Move the Sticks, is now at Fox Sports, recruited me over to Fox Sports. He's not my boss anymore, but I'm now at Fox Sports as a podcast and social graphics uh, producer for them, which has been the craziest, most insane, amazing job that I could have had. Like I, I never, ever would have expected that I would be working in TV, let alone working the entirety, basically, of the NL playoffs, working the World Series, working it almost every World Cup game, working that crazy World Cup final, currently working the NFC playoffs, working college basketball and watching Georgetown lose every week. Like, it's, yes. it's been surreal. The orange blood runs deep in this family with that little dig on Georgetown. I love it. Absolutely. I work too many Georgetown games and they keep losing. Like, I, I, I get tweets on them, but I get tweets about it on air. Like, I can't not put it on my Instagram story with out of the orange on it. Believe it or not, you are the second current employee of Fox Sports to be on the podcast. We previously Whoa. had Bernie Kim, who was my classmate in 2002 uh, on the show. He works for uh, the Fox pregame show on Sunday. Yeah, I've worked with Bernie. He did the morning show at JPZ. So you can both talk about that. Look at that. Crazy. Next time you see him, talk about the Z Morning Zoo and, and doing the morning show. See, look at this. This is what the joy of this podcast. So you mentioned something I want to note a second ago, Cole, and that is the importance of having a champion, having a mentor, somebody that really believes in what you're all about and can sort of say, hey, this kid worked for me at so-and-so, This he'd be a good fit here, I want to bring him. And I think having a mentor like that is so important in any career, whether it's media or otherwise. Besides that, are there any other lessons that you took with you from your time at JPZ that you've applied in your career so far? Yeah, a ton. I feel like this could be its own podcast, um, but 100% about mentors. And I really, I remember when I, I started working for NFL Media and I was so shocked that I even got my foot in the door and so excited that, you know, I was working with Dan Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, or even when I was an intern, or even when I was doing stuff for, for NFL.com. And my motto was just like, I am going to make sure that every single person in this building loves me. Like I'm going to be the most friendly, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Every single person needs to love me. I was convinced of it because I'd finally gotten to a place where I had felt like I could be here for the next five years. That's not what happened. But like once I had reached that level, like it was so clear to me, like I want to make it clear every single day that they should feel like they made the right choice in picking me. And another thing that I, I found personally, you know, something that I think is really amazing about Syracuse is just how competitive it is once you're at Newhouse, how competitive it is to get a spot, to get a mic at WJPC, to get on a zoo, to get airtime at WAR, to work at Citrus TV. And I remember being a freshman and getting this feeling of like, 
I really need to work to just get any kind of airtime or recognition here. And that process of really working hard taught me that I needed to, to specialize and I needed to figure out what I could contribute. Like I wanted to be the next Colin Cowherd. My dad talks about wanting to be Geraldo Rivera. Like that talks about generationally how. Oh, hang on. I've got a tote board in the studio because I mark whether it's Bob Costas or Mike Tirico or Marv Albert or Colin Cowherd. I always yeah. put a tick mark up here when I have another guest in the podcast to say that, but go ahead. Colin Cowherd was mine. And I was one in a million, candidly, one in a million dudes in Newhouse who all wanted to work in sports, who all wanted to be the next NFL analyst. And I had this realization where I was like, how am I going to stand out if I never played football or sports at a high level compared to yeah. all these other guys who also never did this? Like, what's going to make me stand out? And what worked for me was I found this love of the interviewing players. I got really good at finding athletes who I could reach out to and would give me their time. And I would interview them and I talked to them about playing the game. I talked to them about something that interested me. I released an entire podcast series all about football kickers, um, actually with my dad's company, the Lockdown Podcast Network. And I got obsessed with football kickers midway through my time at Syracuse and just begged football kickers, whether they played at the NFL or won the Lee Groza Award in college or had some, you know, clutch kick or they played for Mike Leach or something. Like I just would reach out to them and, and ask them these stories. And I spent so much time talking to different football players and talking to different athletes and getting a perspective and like learning the cadence of how to talk to athletes that I feel like part of the reason why I've differentiated myself and what was able to do the work that I did with the Chargers or do the work that I do with Fox now, even if I'm not interviewing players, is because I found something that made me stand out. And whether it was, I'm just going to make everybody at NFL Network or everybody at Fox or everybody at the Chargers love me because I'm just going to have that attitude of, I am so passionate about this. I love this so much. Or it's, I found a way for me to stand out. And for me, it was obsessing over audio and interviewing and asking the right question and like obsessing over how can I relate to athletes? Like that was the way that I found to stand out. And my father's way is different. Your way is different. What everybody's sort of special thing is or way that they can contribute in this ecosystem, in this media ecosystem and get these jobs that so many people are coveting is to find a way to stand out. And for me, it was just that process of doing it. And I really am thankful to Newhouse because the intensity of Newhouse and all these other kids who, you know, have their stuff together and making me feel like I might not, like that pushed me to just by trial and error, get lucky and figure out I can do this. This is something that makes me stand up. This is a way I can contribute. Ironic we're having this conversation or taping it at least the yeah, night after an NFL kicker misses four extra points in a playoff game. But we can come back to that. By the way, what? Through the Uprights, which is the podcast Cole released, is outstanding. He did a fantastic job with it. It's a narrative podcast series with some incredible interviews with some of the best kickers in the history of the game. We'll link that in the show notes. And Cole, I got to ask you, we have a lot of sports folks at Z89, a lot of sports folks listening to this podcast Give me one tip for interviewing a pro athlete that you wish you had known when you got into it or that you'd like current students and recent alumni to know. Do your research. Uh, this is a huge thing for me. The other podcast series I got to make, the Chargers hired me to make a series about LaDainian Tomlinson's 06 MVP season. Um, it's called Running for History. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of LT. He's my, my favorite athlete of all time. And I spent so much time looking at old articles. Like, I'll, I'll just give you an example. We got Sam Farmer on, who was another guy. Who, Sam actually went to the same high school I did another massive mentor of mine taught me some things in high school that I felt like gave me such a head start when I've gotten a new house. But we had him on and we asked him a story about LT's 
rookie season that he wrote that he just straight up didn't remember because he's a Hall of Fame sports writer who's written so many stories. Huh. I did my research and remember this little tidbit that I thought was cool that I felt like could be a good, uh, good storytelling soundbite that could push the story along and made sure to ask. And he literally said to us, he was like, I, I wrote this, right? And we were like, yeah, yeah, you definitely did. And he refreshed it and, and rewrite the story. But it wasn't like he was saying it from memory. He was looking back at something that he had previously said because I was able to remind him of that. Wow. Being well-researched so that way these guys trust that you know what you're talking about so that way they can open up. My best interviews I've had have been when there hasn't really been a set time frame. The guy has just sort of went long because he's like talking about his life and me bringing up questions and asking thoughtful questions that he probably hasn't thought about in a long time, like is interesting to him. So when you can get that energy, when you can go for an hour, two hours, and they really open up and they go, wow, this guy knows his stuff. And then you really, really wants to like help you understand his story or her story. That's when I found I get the best stuff is it's not a, a thing to ask per se. It's really caring about what this person went through and trying to get them to tell the best story you can. I was a history minor at Syracuse and the, the phrase journalism is the first draft of history always stands out to me. And I just, yeah. I'm interviewing these guys, these guys are primary sources using a history term. Like these guys are primary sources to these events. My goal is to get them to recall it and to want to recall it and to want it translate their experience to me so I can use the medium of audio or if it's documentary, the medium of video to help tell that story. And it's, it's a comfortability thing too. And it's really like, I've had so much time being around these guys, whether it's at Fox and, you know, Michael Strahan just walked past me and we say hi to each other, or I'm at the Chargers and Justin Herbert, one of my favorite players is walking past me, or I've spent hours and hours interviewing athletes. Like I really do think of these guys as human too. And that's not something you can really like mentally comprehend until you just talk to them enough, but really like understanding, like they need to trust you. They need to know that you're not just wasting their time. That is great advice. Carl, tough act to follow, but give me some uh, tips and things, life lessons you feel like you learned at the radio station you've taken with you through your career. Yeah, very tough act to follow. I'm just sitting here as a proud father taking this all in. I'm watching your hands. It looks like you're taking notes on what Cole is saying. <laughs> uh, I always take notes on what Cole says. I always learn something. I actually made I actually I made a list of, of things because I, I knew this question was coming. Here's some things. It's really easy to think back now and think, oh, I knew. All First of all, you don't know anything when you're a <laughs> freshman going into college. Like, and now, you know, 30 some years later, I look back and you think it's it like you were like born with this information. So I had to stop for a minute and say, what do I really, you know, I was starting from zero. So my skills were honed in the area of management, of managing a radio station, of managing people, of uh, building a radio format, you know, all those kinds of things. But some of the things I noted here is, you know, the exponential multiplier of working with a team and collaborating. You know, you sort of come in and think, I can do this all myself. And then you quickly hmm. realize the power of collaboration, the power of just diverse opinions on your team, diverse ideas. It all comes from that teamwork and that collaboration as well. The idea that, uh, you know, learned a lot about marketing and branding, the power of differentiating your product, particularly building a radio brand. I mean, that's given now, but you know, that was sort of something that didn't, I didn't even know when I came into Syracuse when I started working at the radio station. You know, we went through some really challenging and uh, maybe one of the most tumultuous eras in WJPZ's history. 
So, um, you know, I sort of learned that, you know, desperation and dire times will either lead you to crumble or actually, if you focus on the problem solving, you're able to do pretty incredible things. And de desperation is a pretty incredible motivator. I learned yeah. that sleep is overrated. Um, that was <laughs> definitely a hallmark of my time at WJPZ. Uh, passion and curiosity are incredible Sherpas. That was a kind of a hallmark of, of the journey. I learned some things from some of my mentors. The teamwork one I learned from Happy Dave, Father Dave Dwyer. But I learned from Chris Bungo, don't sell past the close. That was a, ah. I've carried that on my, my entire life. So get what you need and, and, and walk out the door. And, and share that one a lot as a father. I, I hurt that one a lot growing up. Once you have sold, you just shut your mouth and then and, and move on with your win. It's a good lesson. I've learned there's always smarter people. Yeah. And you either want to make them your friends or your coworkers, because that's how you <laughs> find success. You are never the smartest, most talented person in the room or the building. So just accept that and, and then embrace it. And this came from the process of programming a radio station is that um, there are no such things as formulas. There are principles, mm. but there, there are no formulas. Every situation is different. Every competitive environment is different. Every product you're building is different. If you just try to replicate a formula, you're probably going to fail. You mentioned it being a tumultuous time and some controversy, Carl. Let's get it into that. What do you mean, uh, for those who don't know what's going on there in the late 80s? Yeah, so when the radio station went on the FM dial, finally off the uh, carrier current in dorm rooms, <laughs> it was you know an incredible accomplishment. And it was honestly a, an incredible programming format that a number of people had hand in. And Mary Mancini, who I believe, like ahead of her time, a revolutionary job of creating what was within the station's mandate to do a CHR format and a formatted radio station, but also something that would appeal to a college audience. And she launched something called Future Radio. You know, her and the whole team that were part of putting the radio station on, you know, Larry Barron and Chris Mossman and Dave Levin and that whole group, Mark Humble and others. And it was great. It was fantastic. And it met the needs of what the station was supposed to do and generally appeased the student body. But this was the first time Syracuse had a student radio station on the FM dial. And within a year or so, the rumblings began across the campus to expand it or convert it into what would be considered, I guess, traditional college radio. More of a block format. Yeah. Yeah. Block formatting. Anybody could come on the air and do whatever programming they wanted. So you'd have two hours of jazz and two hours of reggae and two hours of alternative and two hours of pop, whatever it might be, talk shows and other things. And that's fine if you're just doing a traditional college radio station. That was never the intention of WJPZ. It was always intended to be this media classroom. And, you know, the further we got within a year or so of getting on the FM dial, the rumblings turned into a, a bit of a groundswell to change the format. Uh, and we were getting a lot of pressure from the Student Government Association at the time. And that's where all our funding came from at that time to right. actually run the, the radio station. And so, you know, what does a naive 19-year-old college student do in the midst of all that? And, you know, sort of taking the mission of the radio station to heart, the management team. So I didn't do this in isolation, but, you know, that was Rusty Burrell uh, and Mark Bokoff. They were general manager and station manager. 
Uh, Scott Bergstein was music director, but you know, I pushed for us to make no doubt that what our intention was. And over the summer, heading into the fall of what I guess would have been my junior year, we basically converted the station from this future radio format to a pretty hard, you know, mainstream CHR. At the time, there was some programming that had gotten on the air that was more block programming. Yep. That sort of led down that path of people wanting more and more of that. We took it all off the air. We went to more of a kind of traditional CHR, which was probably too far of an overreaction um, and ultimately led to where we, where we ended up. But it was the right thing to do for the station. Here we are 35 plus years later, and the station exists, I believe, in part because we held true to what the mission of the radio station was supposed to be. But on campus, it kind of erupted as a students wanted a traditional college radio station, and we'd gone as far from that as you could possibly get. You know, there was a lot to it than that. There was meetings and um, all sorts of forums to have campus opinions. But we were ultimately given an ultimatum. If you want to keep the student government money, you will consider going to a college radio station. And if you don't do that, if you want to go your own, your own way, the money goes away. And we made the tough decision then to forego student government funding to stay true to the mission of the radio station. Now we evolved from that and we evolved actually, I talked about this with diverse voices giving us input on the kind of program we evolved from kind of the mainstream CHR to more of a, what really a station is today, a rhythmic CHR with rhythmic and dance roots. And of course, news and sports were always a part of what we did. And then we were doing some groundbreaking things there with getting, you know, rights to the women's basketball and other things to expand in that area. But it was a really tumultuous time, but it forced us to essentially lay the groundwork for what became an even better media classroom. We had to sell our own sponsorships just to make money to stay on the air. We had to do promotions and marketing to actually be competitive in the market so that we would get the attention of potential, you know, we don't call them advertisers. They're just a non, you know, non-commercial radio station. Sponsors. But you know, really, I believe in a lot of ways that that set the stage for the station to continue on its path of providing this experience to being what generations have now called the greatest living media classroom. Uh, in the country. And Carl, we've had uh, some of your contemporaries on and those who were a year or two or three younger than you, and they have given you and that leadership time at that time credit for making that very difficult decision because station needed funding to get onto the FM dial a couple of years prior, and it did. And the station from that point on was self-sufficient for the better part of about 15 years or so uh, until the media landscape changed and the sponsorship money just wasn't there and they had to go back to university funding in 2002, 2003-ish. But you're taking a stand and saying, no, we need to support the mission of this being the world's greatest media classroom is an important part of the history of the radio station. Yeah. And here's the coolest part for me. I mean, that was all great. You know, and then we talk about lessons you learn under the pressure of literally, will this thing crumble if we don't, you know, succeed? You have no choice. Failure is not an option. But the coolest thing is that we built something as a group, as a team and every generation that built and fostered the station since then, that then... 30 some years later, my son goes to Syracuse and gets the opportunity to have WJPZ be a part of his experience as another student who wanted to go to Syracuse for a real life professional education in the media business. 
you know, that's the coolest part of it all is that it came full circle for me. Since this is a podcast and you can't see Carl, he literally just turned the page in a giant legal pad in front of him. He had a lot of notes. Do you also have notes for the question of a funny story from your time at the radio station? That's not my specialty is funny stories. I, I'm, I'm probably too serious of a person for that, but I will say this. I do have one, I guess. We were in the middle of relaunching all the branding and imaging on the radio station to be power hits from what, what at one point was future radio. It was power hits Z89. I mean, this was weeks of building formats and branding and imaging. And who knows how many nights I had spent in the studio with, with our production team. Brian Dubkowski was production director at the time. And in the haze of no sleep. So back then, you know, everything was on tape of some sort. And there was this machine called a bulking machine that essentially demagnetized the tape when you wanted to erase it, whether it was a cart machine or a real reel or whatever it was. Yep. And you're supposed to use this thing kind of at arm's length. You know, you press the button and it buzzes <laughs> and you rub the tape over it and it demagnetizes it. And I wanted to see what would happen if I actually tried to demagnetize my head in the midst of, <laughs> of the, the, you know, third night without sleep. So you're, you know, you're warned never to do this, but, you know, put my head on the machine, hit the button. To this day, I'm really not sure what the outcome was, but I'm, you know, it probably explains a few things. So. Well, Cole, now you have the tough act to follow. Give me a funny story from your time at the station. The time that I was a little lazy with my research and actually turned into a really good bit. So I don't know if you ever heard of, I want to make sure I get this right, the musical, I believe it is called the 25th annual Putnam County Stone Beat. Okay. So I had a bit because we, uh, when I was doing Friday's use, I want to say it was Jordan DePosey, Melody M. I want to say it Bella might've been. Bames was there a lot. I had a bit on Fridays where I would say, you know, local things that you could do. Mostly it was just an excuse for me to shout out like movies I was excited for that weekend. But I'd say a couple different like arts fairs things you can go to uh, at Syracuse during the weekend. Something you could do for fun. And I saw that there was a Putney County spelling bee. <laughs> and I just assumed that there was just some local spelling bee going on. <laughs> and so when I read that Putney County's having a spelling bee, you know, I was probably tired. I, I definitely should have done more research. And Melody was like, you mean this musical? that like a school is doing a production of that's not an actual spelling bee. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's, that's what I was talking about. And so live on air, Melody revealed my mistake and just eviscerated me. And honestly, it was hilarious. Like, I don't even remember what I said, but we were just laughing so hard. And I could just, I remember at some point I was like, I'm actually just happy I made this mistake because me laughing is so much funnier than like whatever this segment should have been. And so I just always remember Melody like eviscerating me for not knowing the the musical, the 25th annual Putney County Spelling Bee. Man, that is a mouthful. So that goes to your point about doing your research. But the other lesson yes. there is sometimes when there's a good bit, there is a good bit and just go with it. Yes. And honestly, for, for any students who are listening who do zoos, that was the best thing that Melody and I had was Melody was just really, really good at, at like messing around with me and giving me just the, the right amount of grief. And I was really good at playing off it. And, you know, being on air, like I realized I never loved leading a show. I always liked being like the second chair. Like I always liked yeah, yeah. the top person who was responding to the person who was hosting. And Melody and I just had like such a good thing going. And my favorite zoos, my favorite bits were always when you're running on not enough sleep, you're probably studying for a test that you need to cram for that day in the middle of the segments. 
But when it's on, you're with friends, you're with people that you spent this time with, and you're just having fun. And if a segment goes off the rails and you don't know how to pronounce this spelling bee or you don't know this spelling bee, you, you, or you don't know this musical that you think is a spelling bee and it goes off the rails, like have fun with it and laugh at yourself because that's the stuff that I remember. What I remember was the time stuff went off the rails and everyone was laughing. And I would like to think that those were the best segments for, for the listener on the car as well. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is hearing stories like that that translate through 50 years of the radio stage. And the story you just told about being on the morning show with your friends and having such a good time, that's true whether you graduated in 2021 or 1981 or 2001. Some of the stuff just really resonates throughout the years and echoes through the generations. And that's why it's been so cool to have two generations of Weinsteins on the show tonight. Carl and Cole, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, John. It was really fun. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.